So I guess you looked at all the problems in the world that you could solve, Tegan, and you said to yourself, I got it. There aren't enough podcasts, so I'm going to launch a new one. Is that how this went down? Isn't everyone starting one, Chris? It's how I've always heard every podcast gets started. So be like chat GPT and tell me in 30 seconds or less, what's this podcast that we're doing about? You and I have been discussing this show for probably 20 years. A show like this, we have actually been on terrestrial radio together. We have actually been on television together. And we've been talking about doing a show for literally 20 years, if not longer. And this is our show. It's a trial balloon, though. And what's the political significance behind trial balloon? If our listeners were to get into our phone calls, they would know that probably four or five times a week for 30 years, you and I have talked about the political issues of the day. It's made us better at what we do. And so we're letting listeners in on some of our takes and some of what we talk about. I spend most of my free time on Tegan Goddard's political dictionary. And <laughs> trial balloon, of course, is the political expression for what politicians do when there's maybe something that might be controversial. They're not sure how it's going to go. So they, they don't actually propose the idea, but they just float it out there. They float a trial balloon. So we're going to float some ideas. The whole concept behind this, I've got questions. You believe you have answers, and we'll see how those two go together. The reason I like the name Trial Balloon is that I have strong opinions. They're loosely held. So I can float one up there, let you shoot it down if need be, but uh, I'm not going to be embarrassed if it's wrong. Yeah, I'm just afraid I'm going to run out of darts. We're going to need more darts. A note for listeners, it's not just my questions that we want in these conversations. The show will be significantly based on listeners' questions. So send them, please, into the mailbag. If you're listening to this via Political Wire, you know how to get in contact with Tagan via the website, politicalwire.com, or just reply to one of his new Politics Extra Substack newsletters. If you're listening to this via Chris Reback's newsletter, email me any questions by simply replying to any day's newsletter. When the newsletter comes to you in the morning, just hit reply. Now, let's get on with business. And I felt like we should start with the debt ceiling and something that is allegedly serious. Here's the background. Two days ago, Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy met in the White House. First time that they had met since McCarthy had become House Speaker. Biden told McCarthy he was eager to work with Republicans, quote, in good faith. McCarthy said the two men could find common ground. A Politico headline on this reads, McCarthy newly optimistic on debt deal. Taken are Biden and McCarthy equally incented for this to get resolved peacefully? What's the politics here? Uh, you know, what's interesting is that uh, as some of our listeners know, you and I met at uh, a school the Kennedy School of Government, where we studied public policy. The debt ceiling fight might be the stupidest public policy that's ever, that's ever, ever happened. It's just a ridiculous thing where Congress spends, agrees to a budget, spends money, and then, in, in, then there's this thing out there holding the amount of debt that the country can, can issue at, at some limit, despite the fact that they have already appropriated funds to blow through that limit. So it's one of the dumbest things that you could possibly imagine. What's crazy about it, and the reason why I don't think that the politics of Biden and McCarthy are, are going to get us out of this in an easy way, is that the Republicans are not united. They're, they're not united on what they want to do, they, but there are enough of them to prevent a bill 
getting past this standoff. Um, there's enough of them preventing uh, that from coming to the House floor. And so as long as McCarthy is in charge of this, there isn't going to be a bill that comes to the House floor to end this insanity. And, it, and what's going to happen is that the financial markets are going to start to get worried. They're not worried yet, but, but come summertime, they're going to start to get worried. And if we remember what happened about 12 years ago, when this similar brinksmanship took place, when Barack Obama was president and the Republicans controlled the House, the result, because of that market instability, was actually a jump in interest rates that probably added about a billion dollars to the federal debt. So that's what makes this thing so insane is by coming up, you know, the Republicans say they want to cut the nation's debt, but by making this a standoff, and as soon as they get the financial markets nervous, they're actually going to, by definition, add to the nation's debt. It's insane. So we saw what happened when for the speaker vote, and we saw the 15 rounds and how just a very small number, four or five Republicans, can hold the entire uh, Republican delegation can hold the entire house and now on something like this as a result can hold the entire US government hostage i mean it's really four to five uh republicans is all it takes to to do that is there a path can mccarthy get anything done like is there a deal is there an agreement actually to get done with biden for mccarthy or does he need to make the deal with those whatever the number is the four to 15 republicans who don't want to raise the debt ceiling? You know, it's a great question. I don't think McCarthy will end up being part of the final deal, if I had to guess. I think that because of the rules- How of, does it get done without him? Because of the rules of the House, the, you, the Democrats could use a discharge petition to bring a bill to the floor. And as long as they had five Republicans willing to cross party lines and to vote for a clean debt limit increase, or perhaps with a few promises here or there, maybe- as some have said in the White House, maybe there's a commission to study how to reduce the federal debt, something like that. Um, that may be a way for us to get out of this. But McCarthy would not be a player in that because as soon as McCarthy opts to work with the majority of Democrats um, on such a bill, uh, his right wing, the very people who, who forced him to 15 rounds of votes to become speaker, they're going to abandon him. And as if you recall, it only takes one of them to call a vote to get rid of him. That was one of the giveaways he made. So how did they feel about McCarthy meeting with Biden on Wednesday? The way that the meeting was portrayed was this new speaker going to the White House to negotiate with the president of the United States. So Republicans like that. It makes Republicans look strong. McCarthy loves it because it makes McCarthy look strong. The reality is, though, in that meeting is that Joe Biden wasn't negotiating and has said he's not negotiating and offered no concessions to McCarthy. So what they did was have about an hour conversation, and that probably is good for governance generally, because I don't think Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy have much of a relationship. But aside from that, I don't think they made much headway. I can see where trying to find some compromise, even acting towards finding a compromise, that feels to me like that makes political sense for Biden. That's the brand that he's trying to put out there exactly. um, right now, certainly since we now have divided government. What's McCarthy's incentive to seek a compromise path? Well, McCarthy's trying to be a strong speaker. But what does compromise have to do with being strong? If your audience is Republican Congress, oh. other Republican Congress people. 
that's a great point. Republicans have no interest in compromising. What they want to do is they want to force the president to do what they want to do. The problem that McCarthy has and the problem that Republicans have is they're not in agreement about what it is they want to do. Some of them had said Pentagon spending cuts should be on the table. Social Security and Medicare cuts should be on the table. There is no agreement in the Republican caucus on those two issues or on really any spending cuts. And so all Biden's trying to do with McCarthy is tell me what you want to cut and then he'll react to it because he knows that McCarthy isn't going to tell him what he wants to cut. Yeah, I'm sure you saw the video the other day when uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin was asked, well, just anything, Senator, just name it. What, what would you like to cut? I'm paraphrasing, but I think the quote was something along the lines of, uh, let's not talk about that right now. Well, there's that. And then there's the favorite waste, fraud and abuse. So everybody yeah, wants to cut yeah, waste, fraud always... and abuse. I mean, it's rampant in government. So let's cut it. Then everything will work perfectly. When you said earlier that ultimately Democrats can put forth the discharge bill, Petit- discharge petition, amendment, yeah. discharge petition, and then all it would take would be five Republicans and fine, let's just say they can find five Republicans. Why are we talking about this then? Why is anybody talking about this? That's a great question, because I think there's something politically to be gained from the Democratic Party on this. They know that the Republicans are divided. They know that the Republicans state they want these broad cuts. They haven't agreed on those cuts. So I think for at least the coming months, the Democratic strategy is name those cuts. Talk about what you want to do. Meanwhile, the constant theme is Republicans are holding the country hostage. If the financial markets start getting jittery, Republicans are causing this jitteriness. It's a win for Democrats until, of course, we go over a cliff. Then, of course, it's a win for nobody. But, you know, in this time period up until we actually hit the debt limit and can't function as a government anymore, the Democrats can play this out for a while, just as Republicans are trying to do. It's just that I think the Democrats have the stronger hand. Did you hear Fed Chair Jerome Powell the other day when he was asked about the debt ceiling? No. What did he say? Basically, he said, that's not the job of the Federal Reserve, but all I can say is it is in the U.S. interest to meet all of its debt obligations and to never miss a payment. Doing otherwise would be very bad for the United States credit. <laughs> it would be well. It's it's actually pretty interesting. Several people have written about this. The scariest thing about the debt limit is that people aren't scared yet, and that we have this political system that doesn't seem to work, and yet nobody's really scared. You know, Mitch McConnell says, "Oh, we won't default on our debt." Joe Biden says, "We won't default on our debt." Kevin McCarthy says, "We won't default on our debt." But meanwhile, all of us looking at the politics just aren't so sure. And the financial markets haven't gotten worried yet. So they're not worried, but we'll see. Maybe it's not a big deal, but come June, come July, come August, maybe it becomes one of the biggest deals we've ever seen. So let's talk about the next emerging big deal. Uh, It'll certainly be picking up as we get into summer and then beyond. And that's the Republican presidential candidates. Taken, is it wishful thinking that we can have a conversation about Republican presidential hopefuls and not mention Donald Trump? Of course, because yeah, I mean, we know the lessons of President Phil Graham and President Rudy Giuliani and all of those front runners of years past. I mean, it's interesting to talk about a race that's starting, and it's certainly unique to have a former president running for president again. So that's interesting. But the idea that the horse race is anything but a mess right now, or it's just still forming. Well, here's here's my pushback a little bit on that. And DeSantis is the one who's in my mind right now. I fully assume that he's advancing policy in Florida that he believes in. He's advancing the policies that reflect his beliefs. I believe at the same time, he's advancing policies that he thinks are 
politically viable in Florida. And by the way, he won in a landslide, so he's not wrong on that. And he's advancing policies that he believes will best position him as the Republican candidate for president, the Republican nominee for president. And yes, on the one hand, it's a lot of fun to talk about the former presidents that you identified, President Graham, President Giuliani, President Gary Hart, President Hillary Clinton. I'm sure you remember George H.W. Bush's second term. At this point in 1991, Operation Desert Storm had just started. And I know you know, Bush's popularity ratings went up to what, 91%, 89%, something like that? Yeah, that's right. And you know, 18 months later or whatever, he was voted out. So yes, it's ridiculous to talk about the horse race, but I would argue it's actually affecting policy. Just ask kids who are looking to take the AP African-American studies. Two, flipping it on its head, while it's ridiculous to talk about a President Graham, has there been a candidate this early in the campaign who is stronger than Ron DeSantis to win a party's nomination? Yes, Donald Trump is. I mean, I think Donald Trump is just as strong as Ron DeSantis, if not stronger. Make your argument on that. I thought that I've seen stats recently where Republicans are favoring DeSantis by a not insignificant margin. Am I well, wrong? It depends on the polls. And there's, you know, we, we all have learned to not trust polls nearly as much as we once thought we could. But I think just on the face of it, Donald Trump is a former president. He essentially owns the Republican National Committee, the Republican apparatus. He has Republicans around the country, even though some are more lukewarm than he would like, potentially. They're still very much in his camp. He has changed the nature of the Republican Party so that Ron DeSantis is really positioning himself to win over those Trump voters with some of these policies in Florida. So I think Donald Trump is an extremely strong candidate. The real question there is, will this race be like 2016 when there was a big field and Donald Trump could win the nomination with no more than a third of the vote? Or will it be just two candidates, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump? I think we've already learned yesterday that it's going to be more than two candidates, that Nikki Haley will at least throw her hat into the ring you know, in the coming weeks. Are there three people in this country who are going to vote for Nikki Haley? Well, I think it's to Donald Trump's advantage if there are. There are people that Nikki Haley appeals to that would not vote for Donald Trump and might otherwise vote for Ron DeSantis. I think the same can be true, although there might be fewer than three, for Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, who's also looks like he's about to jump into the race. Yes. Then there's Chris Sununu in New Hampshire. Then there's Tim Scott in South Carolina. What's interesting is that you might have two people from South Carolina, one person from New Hampshire running into this race. And so all of a sudden, the Republican primary states, those early states, become a bit interesting. Anyway, we'll see how this plays out. It's obviously super early. To your point about how early it is, if you go back to the 2008 cycle, we had not had the financial meltdown that obviously impacted that whole presidential campaign. If you go back to the 2020 cycle, we had not had a global pandemic yet. Those are events that happen, and we have no idea what's going to happen over the course of the next 18 months to two years. Isn't that crazy? We're coming up on the three-year anniversary of everything shutting down. The point that you made a moment ago about Trump's relative strength to DeSantis, that's stronger than I would have expected, but that's, that's great. You saw Scott Jennings, Scott Jennings, the GOP strategist. You saw the way that he puts it, that other Republican candidates don't have a Trump problem. They have a Ron DeSantis problem. His feeling was that DeSantis is stronger than Trump. It's interesting to hear from you that you think that Trump has legs. I mean, I, I see these rallies that he's having you know, in South Carolina or, or wherever. It just doesn't feel like they're making the radar. 
Scott Jennings is interesting, and, and I really respect Scott Jennings. I think he's got a lot of interesting insight, but he is in the inner circle of Mitch McConnell, who, of course, is no fan of Donald Trump. And so Scott Jennings is really echoing what the Mitch McConnell Republican establishment is saying or hopes to be true. So yeah, what they would like to be true. OK, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, you're out. We're going to have to. <laughs> no, we love you, Scott. We're gonna Don't have, worry about it. <laughs> we love you. You, you're, you're, you've been very nice. Really enjoy talking with you. We're going to have to look closer at your comments than that. Let's close out. This is just not a topic that I'm yet willing to spend a bunch of time on. I am uniquely uninterested in the Hunter Biden story. You and I have discussed it many, many times. And if we want, at some point, we can put forward our hypothesis of how and why Joe Biden has a Hunter problem. That's for a different show. That's that trial balloon. That's going to be armchair psychiatry. <laughs> That'll be a different podcast. As Hunter went on the offensive on Wednesday, he's imploring the authorities to go after Steve Bannon and the people who distributed his data, he says, illegally. Here's the question out of all of this that I cannot get out of my mind. Did you even know that local computer repair shops were a thing? No, I didn't, but I'm an Apple user, so I always go to the Apple store. So who brings a computer? I mean, you're you're the son. Who brings a computer to a local computer repair shop? I mean, can't believe that's still a thing. I know, I guess maybe it's because I use Apple as well. If something goes wrong, I just bring it to Apple. But two, you're the son of at that time the former vice president. Did he bring it to that computer repair shop while Biden was running for president? No, I believe it was before then. Okay, so just before. I mean, who does that? It's odd. But but of course, Hunter Biden, as we have learned extensively, if you read the New York Post particularly, has been a very troubled guy. You know, what's interesting to me about this story, so I get it. I'm also uniquely uninterested in the story, except that I'm also uniquely interested. And the reason is I think the politics are pretty interesting. The House Oversight Committee run by Republicans right now is very interested in the story. And they're going to hold hearings and they're going to hold hearings after hearings after hearings. And it's going to be a mess. To me, the secret power here of this entire story is that is Joe Biden and Joe Biden's empathy and his trustworthiness as a father. Joe Biden had a kid who was in trouble. He had a kid who had problems and he felt bad for that kid. When Joe Biden decides to address this in a very public way, it will backlash on Republicans, in my view, in a big, big way. I just think that Joe Biden is trying to help his kid in whatever way he could. Anybody who has kids know that sometimes you feel powerless. Imagine being one of the most powerful political figures in the country, and you can't help your son who's got a terrible drug problem. I just think that a lot of people will identify with that story. I agree with you on that front. It's impossible to think about that circumstance that you just described and not feel empathy towards that. And yes, that's aligned with what you and I have talked about when we do talk about this story. I think that you're right. Whether we want to or not, this one will be in the news. And yeah, the politics will be fascinating and they'll be important and maybe they will backfire. Or maybe before Joe Biden actually comes out and makes a statement, maybe he'll take his ideas and he'll float them out as a trial balloon and see how they play. Would you recommend it? Nicely done, Chris. Nicely done. Talk to you soon, Tegan. Take care, Chris. 